Welcome to the 301 Podcast, the interview podcast for the hottest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, artists, and creators. Real, authentic, and inspiring. And here is your host, Marcus Engel. Let's get it started in 301. Welcome back to the 301 Podcast. Today, we take a sip from the coffee industry, or as my guest like to describe it, the Champions League of Entrepreneurship. And you heard it right, I said guests. It was the first time that we had two guests in the 301 podcast. And that's also the reason why we talked for a very long time. We talked over one and a half hours. So I decided to cut the two episodes into parts so you can enjoy two times 45 minutes of the world's original in two weeks. In the first part, we talked about the value chain of the coffee industry. We talked why they decided to step up and make the coffee industry a better place and also what it takes to set up this big operation. And it was really incredible to see that in the course of the episode, it became very clear that I think they underestimated the whole operation, they underestimated entrepreneurship and they underestimated this big operation that they wanted to set up. And nevertheless, they went for it and they mastered it. And I think that was already the biggest learning for all everyone who listens to the episode. Uh, take on the challenges, master it and try to just overcome it. As usual, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and we get started in 3.01. For the most people, it's the first touch point they have every morning. Today we talk about coffee and I invited Sven and Peter from the world's original to talk about their exciting journey. And gentlemen, we have another thing to celebrate because it's the first time in the 301 podcast that we have two guests. So welcome to the 301 podcast, guys. Hi, Markus. Hi. Hi, Markus. Thank you for having us. Hand on your hearts. How difficult is it for you guys now to drink coffee that is not your own brand? <laughs> It's a very good question, actually. Um, we have to admit that there are a lot of great coffee brands on the planet. So um, for me personally, it's maybe a little bit easier with the time. Of course, I'm the biggest fan of our coffee and yeah, it's, it's a must have in, in our kitchen. Yeah. How, how did you guys meet? Were you always friends or how did it start off? So actually we, we um, met at, uh, back in the university, which was, I guess, 2011 or correct me if I'm wrong, Sven. I guess it was 2011, so already correct, a few years yeah. ago. And we started our bachelor degree together and that's that's where we got um, best friends. Yeah. Nice. And uh, maybe let's get also straight into it. How do two guys from Germany that meet each other while they study get the idea, okay, let's found our own coffee label. How, how does this happen? <laughs> yeah, true. It's, it's a crazy story. Um, it's far away from our um, origin, right? We have known each other in the, in the um, university, in our bachelor studies, and it was about um, economics and um, insurance. And after our studies, we decided to go abroad and to um, improve our English skills and to get other competencies. And we decided that we want to do more than just insurance. And we want to experience new fields in the, in the um, economics. And in traveling or like at traveling, we found out a lot of coffee, uh, a, lot of, a lot about coffee, um, about the different sorts, different beans, different tastes. And yeah, I think this was the really beginning to focus more and more on coffee. Mm. Yeah, so maybe we can even make that a bit more concrete, right? So we, we actually, after going to the US, we went um, down to, to 
I guess it was middle, middle, you would say middle America. So basically uh, Belize, San Salvador, this region, and they have great coffee and for us coffee was just something to drink, to get awake. Um, this was kind of our breakfast. Um, also when we, when we traveled there and the taste was different and different, not, not only positive different, but it was different at least. And we took some coffee back to Germany and, and gave it to our friends, to, to our parents and actually they loved the coffee really, really much. And then the story began. We, we didn't understand why does this coffee taste different. Uh, we got a bit more interested in that. But actually, only I guess three years later, we, we started to think about coffee as uh, entrepreneurship. But it was a lot in between, actually. But this is where the initial start was in our mind, thinking about coffee being something different than just a drink to wake up. And what happened then in those uh, three years that uh, in the end it, it ended up in, in you guys founding a coffee label? <laughs> a lot of different things happened. So um, basically for me, it was I was going abroad again and to Vietnam. So I was working for a big pharmaceutical company. Um, and Vietnam is um, probably not everyone knows it. It's the second biggest um, coffee producer. So exporting raw materials. So I wouldn't call the producer because they're not producing coffee. They're just exporting their, their raw beans. Um, they are the second biggest and actually the the topic came across again um, then having a lot of um, experience with emerging markets getting interested in how can you improve the world the problems we have in our world um, actually um, combining with the topic Sven did and I guess you can explain it better than I do Sven about um, entrepreneurship and things like that and then things came together somehow yeah right so let's continue um, after we went back um, from from abroad so Peter, as he said, um, uh, went to, to Vietnam and um, was working for Roche, is still working for Roche, but then went to Vietnam for Roche and made a lot of um, new experiences there, also regarding coffee. And I was studying in Augsburg, my master, and I focused a lot of uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. And so I did a lot with business planning business models, business concepts. And this was a perfect mix because Peter um, was more and more investigating in this coffee topic. And I was more and more investigating in these techniques of entrepreneurs. And then we discussed a lot and we talked a lot and we actually, actually experienced a lot of ideas before. So it was not coffee initially. Uh, we also had other ideas. Um, we really uh, were like discussing a lot of things, for example, um, in IT or like um, in other topics. But lastly, or like at the end, coffee was the dominating topic for us and the dominating idea. And so we decided to yeah, to went further and to focus more and more on this on this idea and on this concept. Yeah, I think it sounds like a like a very great story. The only thing that I really don't understand, uh, you guys are so invested into entrepreneurship, into innovation. Uh, you made your experience, um, but but what was what was what were maybe your first steps to found that company? Because I mean, um, yeah, s starting a business as a freelancer or a marketing consultant or consultants in general is way easier than than setting up a whole supply chain, a whole value chain of a coffee business. So so what what did <laughs> yeah. drove you to, to have this decision? That's that's a very good question, Marcus. And basically all the people said, hey guys, you're crazy what you're doing there. Um, that's that's Champions League and entrepreneurship. And we now start to recognize it somehow. 
and I'm still struggling with it. So how how it started? So one of the one of the basic things we learned when we when we brought this coffee to Germany was actually and that the taste is a bit different and we just wanted to buy this coffee in Germany, which we got at that time from Belize, Vietnam and all these countries and going to German roasters. And the question was always somehow the same. Hey, easy, Peter, Sven, we have the same coffee here. You can taste it, you can buy it. And we never found the same coffee. So we always went back and said, hey, come on, um, this coffee is from the same area, same mountain, but it's tasting totally different. We had really um, no idea about coffee supply chains and how this entire economics is, is working behind that. And then we asked ourselves, why does the same coffee from the same area smell, taste different? And then the answer was always, yeah, come on guys, this coffee is um, roasted and really produced in the country of origin, what you brought me. So that's a different story. You cannot compare it actually. Mm -hmm. And then we started to think about, hey, hey, how, how does this work? Roasting, producing different tastes, we don't get it. And by starting to do that research, we directly um, stepped very deep into the mechanics from of, about coffee trade and tech systems and all this kind of things. And then we said, hey, that's, that's somehow crazy. And then frankly, we said, why do we not produce the coffee in the country of origin? It would be better for all of us. It would be more original. And we just came from this kind of social um, part and just didn't understand it. And then we said, okay, let's try to understand it. And actually caught a plane, uh, airplane and, and went to Colombia. And there the entire thing started. So before we founded the company, we really went to Colombia with post-its, with flip charts and so on in our backpack and just tried to interview coffee farmers and try to, to understand it. So this was the yeah. initial start. I mean, we have to, to explain the context of why Colombia, right? <laughs> yeah. We have been in Mexico before. Um, we had a contact because of Peter, um, as he is working for Roche. And there, there are a lot of international colleagues. And there were a lot of colleagues also from Colombia. And Peter was telling them our idea. And they really celebrated it. So they really found that it's great. And they they got the contact and they knew a lot of coffee farmers. And so this was the, the first step um, to, to get in contact with them and to visit them in Colombia. Were they then really open to you? Um, because I think that's quite quite interesting. Uh, maybe let's put one question first. Uh, for uh, all the, the people that uh, don't know how the coffee industry works and maybe are not so fam familiar, how does the, the normal value chain and the normal, yeah. let's say, supply chain for coffee work for the coffees that I can find in the supermarkets on the shelf? That's, that's a question we... <laughs> That's a question we tried to try to solve by taking post-its to Colombia because we also didn't understand it. And actually, in average, um, the research shows you have a supply chain which is so complex and rigid, um, which is which you normally just find in the oil market. So it's it's really crazy. Um, what you normally have in 99.9% today is that coffee is um, yeah, grown in the country of origin, so which is normally um, and countries like Colombia, um, uh, Vietnam, Brazil, and so on. And after growing the coffee, it's harvested, it's getting fermented. So there are different processes how it gets fermented. So normally the process um, we have um, today is fermented by, by uh, this water. So that's a quite tricky process, which is called the washed process. But there are other processes which we also do now without um, water, which is way better for that country because they really have a bit of lack of water resources. 
and and then normally after the coffee is fermented, the coffee gets dried, which is also in the counter of origin. And then they just put it into big bags. And then it depends on where they sell it. But normally today they sell it to the um, so-called cooperatives, so that are kind of yeah farmer um, coalitions. So different farmers working together or um, collated actually to export the coffee, and then they. Um, argue the price, which is normally the stock market price, or if they are fair trade price, you get some some different discounts there. Um, and then the coffee is exported as a raw material, and you, you call that raw material either green bean or pergamino. So there are different states in that, but it's um, just the pure coffee which you could not drink. So it's if you if you would eat it, um, it's it's not very healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, then they bring it in a big mess um, to Germany or or um, also um, the Netherlands and Russia. So there are the big havens we have. And mostly then it's it's in Germany, it's, it's Hamburg and, and Bremen. And then mostly they are roasting it either directly there in, in the north of Germany. And there are big, there are quite big roasters. So we all know these big companies and even behind the big companies like Nestle and so on, there are even bigger um, cooperatives which are just doing the roasting. And then it's a, a mess product kind of thing. So really um, with a high temperature, very fast roasting, sometimes within 12 minutes. And then, yeah, they just pack it, pack it um, put their brand on it and sell it. And in this entire process, there are a lot of different intermediaries. So you have an importer, an exporter, you have some um, parties which are bargaining and, and discussing the price. And actually, it's normally 14 people which are involved there. And the more you come to the end, so in the end, you have it in your bag and then you sell it in the retail or in the coffee shop, whatever. But the end story is that the coffee is in your cup. And normally, the more you come to the end customer, the higher the margin is. So the more the people earn. And the price um, in the country of origin is yeah, very small because it's just a raw material. And that's the process we have in, in the entire world since colonialism. And what we then found out, what we do today is not really something else than colonialism. It's just a bit more modern. So we are not going with weapons anymore. But the tech system we have established and the custom system is just, um, yeah, supporting Europe to be to be a refinement country. So that's how we earn our money in Europe. And that's basically what we said, hey, how can that be? We need to change it. And we cannot run all the money in Europe and in the end say we are spending money to to build a school in Africa. Why do we not from beginning reintegrate the things to give them more opportunities? But this was mm-hmm. kind of the economic story behind. Exactly. Maybe one one thing, one additional additional thing. I think Peter explained it quite well. Um, just to give you guys an illustration, like if you buy a, coffee, a cup of coffee in a store here in Germany or like in Amsterdam, for example, um, of every cup of coffee, maybe five cents go to the farmer. Just to have an illustration, like how less, how how tiny is the amount of money which goes to the farmer for for making the crops, the plants, and how yeah the majority of the amount of money goes to the refinement companies here in europe so it's very unequal yeah and then uh, you pay five euro for a flat white here <laughs> that's it exactly that's like we, we every everybody knows the big big brands right of retailers i don't know if i i'm allowed to to tell them with a name but yeah exactly also a lot of marketing budget and a lot of big margins for this and yeah, the, the farmers are really the, the weakest, weakest part in the value chain. And mm. this was really the approach we want to address, that there are better ways where everybody can participate in value.
Yeah. And and what is like where do you step in? Like what are you doing differently and which let's say processes, supply chains, like what how much corners do you cut until the coffee can arrive in the in a cup? Um not not a lot. So actually our process is very easy. Um the all the, the main thing we are doing differently is that we put the roasting before the let's say overseas logistics. So um the roasting happens in the country of origin which in our ca case means the roasting happens on the farmer's side, um, which allows us to not having any raw material trade because if the farmer is roasting, the farmer gets the ownership of the product and the farmer is selling the finished product to us. Um, if we are scaling that um, project, we are then talking about roasting as a service and things like that. So actually that the farmers get their product roast as a kind of, of, of service fee, but the ownership of the product from the crop to the finished um, pack of coffee, of roasted coffee, stays in the ownership of the farmer. So, and then we come into play and, and negotiate the price with the farmer about the finished product. So the farmer is a real business owner in this case and not just a raw material um, seller and farmer. And so what we then do is providing all the services, how to export the coffee, how to import the coffee. Um, we have um, warehousing capabilities in, in Germany and um, we have warehousing capabilities or building up them also in other countries and trying then basically to find customers for them. That's actually the story short. So what we do is buying finished coffee, bringing it to Germany with logistic partners and providing all the process and the big step we do is finding customers for them. Because that's yeah. what, what they actually indicates, need. You know, as this indicates, um, we really cut the tremendous number of intermediaries which are involved in the traditional coffee in the in the uh, traditional coffee value chain we really cut them to just a few to a tiny bit right so just a few um, intermediaries for example the, for example the logistics provider and um, so that the value can be uh, can be um, distributed in a better manner mm. Super interesting. And then maybe uh, coming back to, to one of my first uh, questions, how, like, what were your fir the first steps in, in like founding the company? I mean, I, I understand everything that you do. I still find it uh, very remarkable of uh, traveling to Colombia with a couple of uh, post-its and uh, maybe some, some white paper to, to write some ideas. And then coming back to Germany and then saying like, okay, let's do this. Uh, what were the first steps that you that you took into account? This is quite a, a really really good question, Peter. Do you do you remind yourself what was the first step? No, as, as you said, Marcos. Uh, Marcos, it was exactly like this. We really said like, you know, we do this. We really do this. And maybe we are naive. Maybe we are crazy. But we want to. We want to contribute to a better, better trade in coffee, and we want to to get a start. And we really want to do this. Exactly, this was um, our, these were our thoughts at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I I, I would even say, the the decision, the the decision in ourselves was made a bit before. So as Sven said, we have had so many ideas and discussions about entrepreneurship. You know, discussing all these kind of things which you normally hear in YouTube videos saying, you know, freedom of life, don't work for a big company, got your own, get your own startup and things like that. And we, we talked about so many things in that area that we 
were quite sure, yes, we want to be entrepreneurs, whatever that means, knowing that this is stressful, but in the beginning we thought, yeah, it might be a bit easier. So now we see that it's even worse than we thought. <laughs> um, and then we actually discussed about what can we do? We spent that we had a, had a lot of um, tech ideas and other stuff, and then going back the step and say, yes, all great ideas. And then, but, but then saying it's not about just how easy is it to implement and what is the market value of the idea, the business case surrounding it and so on, but really saying, what can we do? Sven and Peter, what are our skills? Um, what can we build up and where can we help and provide some impact? Then going to Colombia, I would say it was an emotional thing, having all these discussions and interviews with the farmers. I mean, we saw farmers, they were almost crying um, to your question um, before, Marcus, they were really you know, saying, how can you, how can you do this? I, we cannot believe that somebody from Europe is coming and wants to help us. So this, you know, you really had the feeling we can help there. And then we just emotionally went back to Germany and said, yeah, then let's do it. And as Sven said, maybe it was a bit naive, um, but that's the part of entrepreneurship where you get really emotional and then you just do it, call Rota and say, let's found this company. And there are discussions which company, you know, different kind of, of styles you can do. You can do a private company, you can do a shareholder-based company, limited, whatever. And we just made a decision, founded it. And then I would say the big moment was going um, to the, I don't know how to say in English, the, the lawyer, yeah where you actually do the paperwork of founding the company. And then it was like, oh, shit, we did it. <laughs> and the big question was, yeah, what now? <laughs> yeah. And then you, you understand, oh, probably you're not so much prepared for what's coming now. And, and you're just in the water and you cannot go back. And that's actually also a discussion we had. We need to close the door behind us. We just need to do it and put ourselves into the cold water. Because otherwise, you will always find a way saying, why can we not do it? And then you just shy away. So you just need to do it. This was yeah, definitely. So think... This is really, really a learning we can give to everybody. And it's really not comfortable. Um, we really have to say this. Um, there are a lot of problems, a lot of questions, how to go on. And it's very complex. Um, you are f freely on the market. You have to participate and you have to compete. And it's really rough. You know, it's not, it's not very easy. But you have to make this decision and you have, as Peter said, you have to, to get into the cold water and you really have to improve with time. And I think this is the process, the very important process to become an entrepreneur, um, that you really learn it and that you really learn every day how to improve little things and to get better and better on the market. And this is a huge challenge. But um, as, as we also said, maybe it's, it's normal or it, it's a must have to be a little bit naive at the beginning and to really follow their passion um, to, to found something because there will be problems at the beginning. There will be uncertainties. There will be question marks. But the art is to overcome them and to really follow their passion and to really believe in it and to go further. And this is really a process we also experienced yeah what was your what was your biggest fuck up in this period do you do you have something top of mind that you really think wow this we really <laughs> too, too i would many. say that, that probably the yeah there was maybe not that biggest fuck up the biggest fuck up was um basically learning 
I mean, let's let's say it this way: we did so many work in Colombia because, as we said, you need an emotional component doing it, and the emotional component for us was uh, we want to create impact. We can change something, so we really can change lives for the people um, in this case in Colombia. And by focusing so much on that part and developing the product, developing the processes to support them, we somehow in the beginning um, lost somehow the view of saying, hey, we need to sell it in the end. And then we had the product and we thought, oh, who is actually the customer? <laughs> and then yeah. you're starting to to run and then you have a product, uh, you know, which has a, a period of um, of stock, uh, of shelf life. So I mean, coffee after one year, it's over. So you have the pressure to sell it. You need to pre-produce the packages and things like that. And then you're really under pressure if the market is not accepting it. But on the way, there were a lot of um, smaller fuck ups, yeah, um, brand uh, issues, and you know all these kind of things. And then you quickly run into money issues. You are asking yourself, is this the right thing because the competition is so high, and so on. So. But I would yeah, and also the industry right and i think yeah. maybe coming coming back uh, I, i don't know who said it i think you said it's when that a lot of people said like guys are you crazy um and and was that something that uh, also like your your friends your family uh, told you to like guys stop it like this is a, a way too complicated there are so many different stakeholders involved you have to think of not only producing it but the distribution the selling like everything lies in your hands right like this is not a, a tech company that you sell as a service and you say like okay done deal was there a lot yeah, of like definitely. negativity um and if so like how did you overcome this like what kept you going what was the, the thing to say like what's the emotional component that you said wow we have like a, a i don't know a couple of farmers that really uh, trust us and they really need us to perform or was it just something that you said okay we do it as because we are friends and we keep going yeah very good question really good question and there was a lot of discussion also with loved ones with family with friends and you know there are not everybody is, is founding something it's it's the opposite right there are just a few people maybe doing it it's getting more and more prominent more and more popular to to become an entrepreneur or to um, found a company but it's still not very common and maybe just to explain our backgrounds familiar we are sons of you know in germany we say beamte you know like people who work for the state and who get like a fixed income are very secure and um, have a very secure job and You have to un you have to imagine this setting, right? And now the son is coming to the parents, and is telling them that he wants to become an entrepreneur, and maybe to leave his secure job to found a company, which has no real turnover at the moment, no real profits. You can imagine the first the first reaction. Maybe it was very critical. It was not going against it. So it was also they they tried really to understand it, but we cannot expect that they say like, oh guys, this is great, you know, we waited for it. Um, <laughs> it was uh, way another direction. It was like, are you sure? Um, do you really want to do it? You have a good degree, you know, like parents really really uh, try to to insist on that, and uh, maybe you know there are a lot of good secure jobs. Um, I think this is like a typical parent thing, but the more and more the discussion went, they really, really understood it. 
And now we have a lot of supporter in our personal network, um, family, friends, they are really, really asking about it because for them, it's very interesting to see how it evolves. And they are really, um, yeah, they are really fans like supporters. And it turned a little bit. In the beginning, it was for many people, they, they were a little bit irritated, but um, yeah, they, they try to understand and it's a process. Now more and more people really like the idea and support us. And what kept, what kept you going? Is it yeah. like, was there like the part, uh, I don't know, like, was it books? Was it YouTube videos? Was it uh, watching, I don't know, Gabe Vaynerchuk or something? And you said like, okay, this is the, this is the shit why we do it. I guess that's, a, that's also a good question. Um, uh, YouTube videos were quite before that. So we watched a lot of YouTube videos that actually like came from that. We said, we want to be entrepreneurs. Yeah, you know, all, all looking, watching all these kind of videos. Um, so what we what we knew from beginning about what people told us, guys, um, try to be realistic and entrepreneurship is sexy for the outside, but in the inside it's not so sexy because it's really stressful. You put yourself, your your money and your private life on risk. Um, but on the other hand, you need all this acceptance from your family and friends because otherwise uh, you're running alone and then it's it's not gonna work. You need the support. Um, I, I guess what, what really helped a lot of people today are saying, hi, cool, you're doing a startup. That's cool. So that's helping, um, to get the support from, because many people are talking about entrepreneurship and not too many people are really doing it in a kind of international um, scale, So that's, mm -hmm. I guess, where we really said, Hey, okay, that we did it. And we put ourselves on this risk and we have our limits, how far we want to go and the other thing is the social component that's also a part where you how you really can convince a lot of people and get the buy get the buy in from to say hey look at this story of coffee and and how we try to change it and the story we put all around the farmer and you know there are real people behind it which means but there are even real ch children behind it which are now being able to go to school and and things like that and that's that's the the deepest driver in the beginning, a big driver was also, you know, freedom and probably you will earn money from it, all this kind of typical entre entrepreneur things. But on the way, you understand it's a long, as Sven always said, it's a marathon instead of a sprint. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's probably really the case. And the more you get the feeling it's a marathon, the less money gets important. So it's more important to have this feeling of inner freedom and you know, going to bed and say, hey, I did something right, or at least I feel I did something right. And the values we have in our company is something which we stand for and not somebody else stand for. And this kind of freedom and, and inner kind of feeling mm -hmm. is giving us the, the full conviction to say, let's go on, let's go on, let's go on, let's go on, um, even if it's getting harder. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned a uh, uh... Yeah, sure. You can also add something. Can, can I just add one aspect? Um, I think it's very helpful because Peter and me, we are not just business partners. We are best friends and, you know, we have a lot of trust in each other. And I think it's a lot of easier to start together something and to really discuss it and um, to really encourage um, everybody um, like each other to do it than to make it on your own or alone. I think this is definitely also a factor um, that we did it in the end and um, that we really made this decision um, because um, we said like we we will fight together 
and there will be a lot of obstacles and a lot of um, maybe bad things, right? Maybe also difficult things, but at the end we will overcome them. And um, this is definitely also an important component. Yeah. Super, super nice. And I think it's, it's uh, as you said, a lot easier to, to find something together because then you, you just uh, divide the, the, the struggles, I think, over, over two people and uh, you can motivate each other when the other person is uh, maybe a little bit down. Um, Definitely. Peter, you were just mentioning, uh, I think in one of your last sentences, you said uh, those are our values. This is like be what we have to stand for. Uh, I think you positioned yourself uh, very early on, um, always as like you called it fair value creation. Um, why why not um, riding the wave of like the whole fair trend label? Um, I mean, I can understand it from like a maybe more like ideological kind of standpoint to say like we don't want to be a fair trade brand because we don't think that fair trade is really fair trade. But why did you not decide to say like, okay, maybe we have to use this kind of mm -hmm. um, label for a bit to ride the wave to get more more known yeah. and then decide to do something else? Yeah, very good point. And also it's a it's an emotional point. On the one hand, as you said, you know, do you want it? Um, do you want to be compared with that? On the other side, it's also a technical um, um, kind of thing. So um, I know we, we very early made the decision, do we want to take something which is already there and, and you get a lot of, a lot of branding and marketing from it or do we want to create our own space for it we somehow said let's create our own space which is, is going a bit more in the area of thought leadership and on the other hand we cannot use fair trade because fair trade um, is certifying cooperative so that's um, what i um, really quickly um, described before that the farmers are selling the coffee not directly to Europe normally they're selling it to cooperatives and they're selling raw material and that's where fair trade comes in so they're certifying raw material trade and we are not doing any raw material trade that's why we are not being able to certified by fair trade mm -hmm. so that's why it's obviously not applying for us there are a lot of other um, um, certifications out there which are going more in the direction of being sustainable as a holistic company And all these things like B Corp and things like that, which are way more better applying for us as a company, because we said for us, it's not just important to certify the process, how we trade the coffee. We as an entire company want to stand for it. And then it's just a matter of choice to say, yes, the trade needs to be um, sustainable also. So, you know, going away from we are a big company and this one product is fair trade certified, we want to say, The, the entire contract we are doing this ourselves um, when we found the company and that's what actually Decorp is trying to do um, should be sustainable and be business for society, business for good or what, however you call it instead of business for just money. Mm. Super, super interesting. Yeah, I think we've come already like a long, a long way. So from the from backpacking to Colombia to coming back to Germany to deciding to found a company. Uh, and then at one point having the the finished product in your hands and the the finished uh, bag of of beans in in your hands um, how difficult or how easy is it to get those beans then then certified um, also that you can just list them in, in suppliers to get them to the consumers in the end to the supermarket is that a difficult process mm -hmm. it's somehow difficult if you really want to to get it in the big supermarket chains right 
in the national supermarket chains. We did not want to do this at the beginning because then we really need official certifications, as you said it. Um, there is, for example, like in Germany, we have like um, supermarkets which um, list uh, ecolo uh, not, yeah, ecological um, and organic um, products. And for these products, we really need a certain certification, which costs a lot of money and um, a lot of effort. And as we really wanted to test some markets and also some potential client groups, we decided against this for the beginning because it meant a lot of um, effort for us to, to really get these um, certifications. And we tried it with um, supermarkets, but not in national chain chains, but like small supermarkets with, um, with owners and he can use the brand, but he makes a decision which products should be in the supermarket. And we tried it with these ones. So we were in selected supermarkets here in Augsburg and it did not work out very, very well because there are a lot of other brands standing in the supermarket shelves. And you need a lot of marketing and promotion to get your product sold, right? That the consumer has trust to buy it. And so we decided to look for better ways to sell it. And we found a few coffee expert shops, for example, like for fine foods and for um, coffee. Um, there are like special shops in Augsburg and we listed our coffee there. It was no problem uh, without certification. And it really, it, it goes very well. So it's the better way for us to, to sell our products and um, yeah, to, to get new clients. And also we decided um, to, to go to like B2C, like private consumers at the beginning, of course, our friends and um, our network, but also um, yeah, some, some other uh, private clients. And so we tested it also to sell online. And yeah, these were our two main channels to sell our coffee at the beginning. Yeah. And when we, when we talk about marketing, is, is, is it difficult to now change the, the, the mindset of the consumers in the end? Because I, I think, uh, yeah, we said it before, like that fair trade is very established brand. And every time when you buy it, you kind of have the feeling, yeah, but it's a fair trade product, like, uh, like a bit, little bit buying off your guilt <laughs> of like uh, coming in your S SUV four by four and say like, yeah, but I bought a fair trade bio product maybe. Um, <laughs> Is that difficult now to, to also change the, the mindset of the people? And also, how do you approach that? Like, what, what, how do you stand out? What do you want to do different in today's marketing world? So that, that's a question we, I would say, still struggle with somehow. Before answering it, just um, commenting on the other question very quickly. Um, shameless marketing alert. Um, so we are our organic product. Um, just just to name that, um, so our product is also organic. So what's when explained with with the certificates, it's a, it's a money problem, um, and so on. In the beginning, for a startup, that's where we struggle with. But um, so you have a lot of hygiene factors, you know, you need to do for the authorities in Colombia, in Germany, in Switzerland, wherever you go. Um, and our coffee is organic, but it's just not certified to be organic. So we have Colombian certificates, which actually are not compliant with the European rules, and then you need to get all these audits um, uh, to get the official stamp, and that's something we don't have. But still, it's our organic product. 
Um, and on, on the other question, yeah, um, changing mindsets, that's a big topic and it's always uh, depending on who is your customer. And as Sven said, in, in, the, in the big shop floor market, it's not so much working. That's why we then try to figure out where are the channels we can talk to where people understand us and where we get some multipliers from. And there are certainly a lot of people which really understand it. So talking about owners of bigger corporations and facing you know, the sustainability kind of challenges which you have today. And so with people which are really asking behind, what does this mean? They are understanding it and then you get your time to explain it. In the supermarket, it's still struggling because also as research shows, fair trade, it's not so big and it's not growing anymore. And people are really looking into the easy stuff, the easy signs and so on. So this changing of behaviors is really difficult because it's a matter of education and personality. What we, what, what I feel, I'm currently living in Switzerland. Um, you also see different markets and countries. So Germany is a bit different than Switzerland and so on, depending on how big the society is. So it's it's very individual, and it's just challenging still. How to, how do you explain it? And we didn't still find the right way for every customer. So now the message we send is normally for B2B. That's the market we are now in, which is a bit struggling with Corona. Um, but yeah, there we find our messages because they are way more rational. And for the end customer, you would normally go with more emotional um, stories and then you need to, it's, it's getting very expensive, very tricky. Mm. Is it because you have to do a lot of storytelling around it to, to tell the story? Because like, it's not, I mean, like quality is one thing, right? But in the end, it's also like a, a little bit the, the story behind it that, that makes it a maybe a beautiful thing to to spend money on instead of just buying any coffee because I think besides the quality being very high as I think uh, it's called single estate uh, blend if I'm if I'm not mistaken um, it, it's also like this the story that you buy into right definitely like it's a real it's a very important component of our product and you know we also have to justify the higher price right and. Of course, we have to make storytelling to explain it, why the why the higher price and for whom, like that the farmers um, are getting a lot of more money and can live well and can like make the finances for their family. And um, to really transport this message in a transparent way. This is a weird challenge. As Peter said, like fair trade is very easy, like it's a symbol. And as you also said, Markus, I think personally, there are people who really have a good, good thought on this and feel very good that they contributed to a better world, maybe, uh, and drive with their SUV to the supermarket um, say, oh, there is a fair trade product. It's one euro more expensive. Ah, okay, let's buy it. And yeah, I really um, have done something great, which is, which is awesome. You know, I, I really appreciate this. But there is still more potential. And to show that we are different than, for example, in fair trade approach, this is really challenging. As Peter said, the focus of consumers is very short-term. So it's like a decision is, is made in like two seconds in the supermarket, which product to buy. And if a coffee product is like three euros more expensive per 250 grams, um, we can understand that it's not immediately, immediately in yes that uh, consumers say to this product and really want to experience it so the challenge is to really transport the message 
And as Peter also said, like discussing with companies is way more easy because they have a stronger focus on these arguments than, for example, the private customer. And this is this explains the switch from the initial focus on private to business companies, like to business clients at the end. So this is still a project going on to, to go to business clients and to really present our model and our product. Yeah, yeah, because it's also more, way more regulated, right? So the the companies they have the sustainability goals, they have they want to make it good for the employees, uh, and then they are also maybe not too shy to say like, okay, then we spend uh, three euro more on, on our coffee beans, um, but then we we tick a couple of boxes and make it a, a good workplace. I think the the conversation just goes goes down easier. Maybe maybe to to add on on that, that you actually in marketing have that's what we learned now also to kind of perspectives and one is the short-term perspective where we have the story to say we need to sell it now we need to tell it to somebody storytelling and then we're directly coming to what marketing budget do i need and it's getting very expensive and we need to choose a customer right and the other thing is the long-term perspective and that's something which is getting more and more focus for us to say how do we want to per be perceived as a brand in the long term with such an impact story and so there are two important words for us and one is authenticity and the other is transparency so our big hope and thought is and that's something which we see now that it's getting um, more value being very transparent with everything so we can directly um, tell our customers how much we pay to the farmer we can open a, or, or um, make the invoices and everything public so having this radical transparency and on the other hand also focusing on not being too much marketing um, kind of uh, storytelling, but really saying how it really is. Yeah? Because in some brands, especially in the coffee market, you see that some companies are showing things which are not really true mm. because of nice marketing. And that's something where we said, let's be very authentic. And in the long term, it hopefully pays off. And that's where normally startups and impact business are, go are more and more going. So it's a very much long-term perspective we take here. Yeah, and, and I mean, definitely also doesn't fit to the brand, right? Like, uh, it, it, you cannot on the one hand um, be very fair to your farmers and uh, cut so many uh, unnecessary steps. And on the other hand, you try to kind of fool the consumer into into, <laughs> into buying your brand. I think then, then your your brand story is also not really not really round. So it, uh, it actually makes makes a lot of sense. That was it with the first part of the world's originals. And in this episode, we talked a lot about how they started the business, how they set up everything and the reasons why. And the second part of this episode, which will launch next week, we talk much more about personal development and how they got there where they are today. And I think it is a very nice episode and a very nice second part that you should definitely stay tuned because it's way more relatable for everyone who has started a business or who is thinking to start a business. There were like a lot of practical tips and a lot of reflections that everyone can use. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as usual. If you haven't done so, please share it on your Instagram. Tell your friends about it. And we are back with another episode of the 301 podcast next week. Until then, take care. Yours truly, Marcus.